They say records are meant to be broken, and worries about high-flying assets should remain unspoken. No one wants to mess with this market's success. That's why you're rolling with the Investopedia Express. One week into the new year, and investors are picking up where they left off, and that means more record highs for major markets and asset classes. The Dow, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, the Russell 2000, emerging markets, the MSCI World Index, all at record highs last week. Bitcoin, also at record highs last week. Oil prices, finally on the rise, cracking through $50 per barrel and staying there. U.S. Treasury bond yields, finally above 1% for the first time in 10 months copper at a seven-year high. Take a good look, folks, because you rarely see a market where a majority of asset classes are charging to all-time high after all-time high, day after day, week after week. It's especially confounding given the news cycle we're living through right now. COVID cases and hospitalizations, all at record highs in the U.S., 10 million people still unemployed, and the trend getting worse, not better, and civil unrest spilling into the U.S. Capitol last week as the Trump presidency enters its final days. Investors have been looking beyond all this, and they see the recovery once vaccine deployment picks up speed. They see low interest rates going into 2023. They see trillions more in government spending via the Biden administration. They see pent-up demand from consumers and businesses who are ready to spend. And they've liked this recipe so far. But tastes can change fairly quickly, and markets are opening lower to start the week. This week will be a busy one, so let's get set up. Today, Monday, January 11th, an executive order will bar any United States person from trading in the stocks of 35 companies designated as communist Chinese military companies by the Trump administration. The list includes some fairly big names, such as telecom giant China Mobile Communications, Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corp., and Huawei, which has been at the center of intellectual property theft and espionage issues between China and the U.S., for years. Which companies aren't on the list? Alibaba, Baidu, and Tencent, most notably, a few of the most popular Chinese companies listed on U.S. exchanges. Earnings season kicks into high gear this week as U.S. companies report their fourth quarter 2020 results and may provide some forecasts for 2021. Just maybe. Look for the big banks to report results towards the end of this week with BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, and Schwab all on deck. Bank stocks have been red hot lately as real interest rates have been rising as well as yields for long-term U.S. Treasury bonds. Banks need higher yields to improve their net interest margins and therefore their profits, and they're finally getting them. Consider this. U.S. financials as a sector are down at the same levels they were in 2009 as they were limping their way out of the great financial crisis. They are better capitalized, better protected, and less leveraged than they were back then. So if the economy is really improving, they may be one of the areas of the market that is still undervalued. Delta Airlines will report results Thursday, the first major airline to do so this season. Delta, like all major airlines, has been devastated by the pandemic as business travel and most leisure travel has evaporated. It's slowly starting to come back. But will these airlines bring their workers off of furlough? How long till they start seeing bookings ramp up? We'll hear that from Delta later this week. And U.S. retail sales for December 2020 will be released this upcoming Friday. We know spending was a little soft this holiday season, but just how soft and in what categories? 
That should give us a better picture of the health of the U.S. consumer just as the first round of $600 stimulus checks start rolling out. More checks are coming. It's just a matter of when and how much the Biden administration can push through in a couple of weeks. 2020 brought millions of new traders and investors into the stock market for the first time as volatility and the fastest bear market and recovery whipped up the investing world into a frenzy. There were days, weeks, and even months when everything was going up and everyone seemed like the next Peter Lynch. But that's not the way things usually work, and risk can be a dangerous game, especially for new investors. No one knows that better than J.J. Kinahan. He's the chief market strategist for TDA. Welcome to The Express, J.J. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Uh, always a pleasure to deal with you guys at Investopedia and all the great work you guys do. Thanks. You track uh, TDA individual and retail investor appetite and activity through your movement index. Much like we track investor behavior through what they're searching for, the words that they're searching for, you actually see what they're buying and selling. And they've been buying a lot lately, basically almost half of 2020 and even into 2021. Where are they concentrating their buying activity? What we showed in December is that our clients took a lot more risk than we'd seen in the past. Their exposure level went up 15%. In comparison to what we saw in November, what's interesting was November was down a little bit. So it was quite a surprise to see that. But then you look to where they were buying, and I think that helps tell the story. Pfizer being the number one bought stock for December. In fact, Pfizer was the number one purchase stock every single week of the month. Moderna, right behind it. Then you get Tesla, which is usually very popular with our clients anyways, And obviously, it's been an amazing stock, right, for the last year, to your point. Because if you look at the stocks that were the most popular for the entire year, Tesla also falls in that group. Then you had Neo and Salesforce rounding up top five. What I found interesting, Caleb, was the sell side, because that was led by two crude oil-related names being Oxy and Halliburton, which very interesting considering that we've seen an amazing move in crude oil overall. And we also like to look at where else our clients found interesting. Twitter was a sell in December. So I think names that people would find very interesting as to how our clients went back and forth on those things. You mentioned Tesla only up 700% for 2020, but also it was included in the S&P 500, which led to more buying by index managers and index investors. But the believers in that stock are so passionate, and they've dealt with so many drawdowns in that stock over the past few years, and they've been rewarded for it. But you mentioned the vaccine makers, Pfizer and Moderna, which we saw very hot, obviously, in December. Was that a sense of a buy the rumor because we knew vaccines were coming out, potentially sell the news as some of those names have drawn down a little bit now that the vaccine rollout is underway? Well, I think it's also one of those where people are going to perhaps stay invested in those two names for a while, because we also know that this is a product that has a built-in demand for what that time frame is. We don't know. Hopefully, it's the shortest time frame possible in terms of the vaccine. But looking at what's going on, I think on the conservative side, you would say that's going to take six months. It may take longer, as we're seeing now, what the market's doing as we come into 2021 is looking beyond those logistical problems and say, okay, it's going to come. So let's start planning on what's happening next. But in my personal opinion, the thing that we could stub our toe on in the shorter term is, especially if we get in the mid to late February and we haven't seen any progress in an exponential fashion on rolling out these vaccines, I think that's going to start to trouble the market quite a bit. 
Right. I mentioned at the top this flood of millions of new investors and traders into the market for the first time who were chasing these returns in 2020. And 2019 was a pretty good year for the stock market too. But we really saw this surge. I know you saw it at TDA where so many new clients joined up to your platforms there, which are terrific. But it's also this brings up this notion, JJ, of big money moves the markets, institutions move the markets, but retail investors kind of move it around the fringes. But I think that was a little bit different in 2020, given this aggressive move by retail investors into some of these names. How much did you feel from your perspective that retail and individual investors were moving the market? And has it changed the dynamic into the way markets work today? Well, I think it has changed a little bit of the dynamic. You know, if you think about it, Caleb, you and I talking a few years ago, what would have been one of our biggest complaints? How do we get younger people? How do we get retail involved in the market? We went many years trying to figure that out. We, they came with a surge at once and, you know, in some ways overwhelming the market. I think to your point, big money still starts to move stocks, but the individual retail investors certainly add to that momentum one way or the other. You cited Tesla. I think Tesla is certainly one where you saw many days where retail came in to help move that throughout the day. A lot of the chip makers, the area I would say this year that maybe some more than others would be those that make gains, et cetera, because so many younger people are familiar with the product. It's also interesting to me how I think some of the media has sort of looked at this the wrong way. What I mean by that is for some reason, the media has this view of 1982 when it comes to the retail trader. There is so much information out there. We spend a ton of time educating. The untold story, our education usage is up 3x year over year. People want to be informed as to what they're doing. And for many of them, for unfortunate reasons, or because they were just working at home for the first time in their lives, they had an opportunity to get educated. I'm going to say this year, many more people understand their investments than at any other time since I've been involved in this business. Pardon me, I've been in a business a long time. So I think that that's extremely helpful also. So these new investors, new traders, I definitely think help add momentum, but it's still big money that is the first mover on the markets overall. And don't forget with that, the amount of volume that came into the market this year, I also think helped perhaps some of the movement because there was just so much of it on both sides, it helped things move quicker. You, like me, watch money flow. We look at those money flows every week in and out of mutual funds and ETFs. What's very curious, JJ, is that money stayed out of the big money, stayed out of the market for a lot of 2020, sat in cash, sat on the sidelines, sat in fixed income, but then started moving in in November when the election results started to become a little bit clearer and we had a little bit clearer of a sense of when the vaccine rollout was going to happen. There's some four, four and a half trillion dollars in money markets today. Do you think we're going to see a surge of money into the stock market now, especially because we know where interest rates are going to be for the next two or three years in terms of what the Fed has told us? You'll pack a couple of great things there. The first one being, I look at our clients back in late March, April, May. They were definite buyers of the market. And the one area where I would say they led the market was particularly on the travel stocks and our millennial clients on the cruise stocks. Our millennial clients started buying Carnival and Norwegian cruise lines, et cetera, very early on in late March. And they were all buyers of airlines, too. It took, I think, big money a while to come around to buying those types of stocks. And I think one of the reasons you saw maybe some of the bigger money coming in in November, December also, is they were chasing returns. 
The market had done, let's face it, I don't think any of us expected this market, but the returns are so phenomenal and they had a show they were invested too. So many of them came in driving that market higher. Now, the one thing about rates, which I think is interesting, we're seeing the pressure now that with the new administration, there is definitely a conventional wisdom, not to say the conventional wisdom is always right, of course, that we're going to continue with the stimulus. We may get infrastructure. What does that mean? Much more money in the system. So because of that, we're seeing rates also start to rise as a defense to that. So I, I do think you could actually see a situation where rates rise for a while while the market rises for a while because there's so much money coming into the system. Right now. Which is not a terrible thing, especially for financials, which didn't participate in the 2020 rally by and large. They don't make money when interest rates are this low. They need those higher rates to make money on their lending, on their net interest margins. But other areas of the economy too are starting to wake up. When you look at small caps and you look at this all-time high for the Russell 2000, you got yourself a pretty broad-based rally here and you're looking at the waking up of financials, industrials, and manufacturing stocks that really were asleep for the better part of 2020. You could make the argument that more breath, especially across these recovery-related sectors, is going to be good to lift the overall market, even if rates rise, even if higher taxes are coming. Two things that I think are definitely going to happen. Do you think we're going to see those two things? And do you also think we could probably see the markets continue to rise for those reasons? I actually do think we could see the markets continue to rise for those reasons. That being said, I think it's going to be a very volatile path to get there. This first week of January, let's face it, has been an absolute rocket ship. After well, Monday was obviously a bad day, but the rest of this week has been an absolute rocket ship. So with that, I would expect us to continue to see volatility because vaccine news will continue to be up and down. If new taxes are announced, as we know from being around the markets for a while, even when they're anticipated, which I think they are pretty anticipated right now, people still have a negative reaction, at least on the onset, to what's going to happen there. So that would not surprise me to see us see some sort of uh, sell because of that. But to your point about the financials, you know, it's interesting that the Russell hits an all-time high. That, that, that's good for a few reasons. Number one, I do think people sometimes forget that the second largest sector in Russell is financials. So these mid-sized banks, for the first time in a long time, I was saying they were like great boxers. They were getting punched in the face every day and they wouldn't go down. They just hung in there and took the beating. So they finally have a chance to fight back a little bit and very happy for them. But what it also makes me more optimistic about is some of the small businesses in America that aren't reflected in the markets. And the fact that those banks are doing well, hopefully their loans, et cetera, they'll be willing to do more to help some of these smaller businesses that are still coming out of this tough situation. The financials, especially those regional banks, were the Jake LaMottas of the (laughs) stock market. Took a lot of punches, but never went down. But JJ, I get this question all the time when I appear on financial media. You're across financial media all the time as well. How can the stock market be doing so well when the economy is so weak? And the truth is, most of the economy is recovering, but the labor economy is not. And the lower income folks that have lost their jobs, their meaningful part of their income, the inability to work from home or taking care of family members are not. Does that eventually concern you that that will eventually catch up to the market and all the enthusiasm that has gone into it and bring us back down, whether it's a 20% drop, a 30% drop, or or even just a 10% sit here for a while drop? Do you worry about that at all? And how do you explain the disconnect that I try to explain every single day? Well, I'll start with the disconnect. And the disconnect being this, we only trade the stocks that are listed. And the stocks that are listed in many cases are doing pretty well. So that's where you have to start. Now, in terms of the employment situation and some of the smaller businesses, first of all, you know, it, it's great to see so many 
people are trying to help them out. But when I look at like today's employment report, on its number, it was a terrible report. But as I start to dig through it, I see that the number one area lost a lot of jobs. And I'm not trying to belittle anyone's job or any, you know, if you lost even a day of pay, it's a terrible thing. The one thing we're, I think we're all hopeful for is you see, oh, I believe it's 480,000 jobs lost in the uh, hospitality industry. I think many of those will come back. I think most of us think many of those will come back. Now it's a matter of how long it takes to get those jobs back so that we can go to our favorite restaurants and bars again. So you've got a great perspective on retail investors, individual investors, and you see a lot of them come through the doors at TDA and start accounts for the first time. We see that as well. They're coming to us to learn about how to invest, how to start investing. We are both, our companies are passionate about investor education and making sure people know this. If you could tell a young investor or even an investor coming into the market for the first time today, they want to start an account, words of advice to get started on the right foot what would you tell them? What's your best advice? Start smaller than you think. One of the biggest mistakes I see people make is they're very excited and that's awesome. So what do they do? They put a lot of money on one trade or and by a lot of money, a big percentage of their accounts. Now, sometimes, you know, depending on the size of the account, you have to do that because you don't have a choice. Maybe you only have a couple thousand dollars, whatever. And, and I understand it. We all started somewhere. But what I would say is, one of the easiest things in the world is to become a bigger trader. One of the hardest things in the world to do is to make a really bad trade to start and then try and make that money up over time. And the second part of that is be realistic on your timeframes. When you made that purchase, was it to for a week, for a month, for a year, and stay true to what it is you're doing? I've seen too many people who, well, this time's different. Well, actually, no, this time is never different. <laughs> so those are the two biggest things, your time frame and start smaller than you think. I think if you start with those two things, the market's humbling. And if you think you are great, the beautiful thing about the market is it will show you very quickly why you're not. And that's what I love about it. You learn every day and it's humbling every day. Right. And you got to know the difference between trading and investing. And I think a lot of people still don't have that distinction, but investing is a long-term game. Think marathon, trading, think sprinting, think the 400-meter dash, but whatever it is, I know that you believe in it, we believe in it. Education first. Know what you're doing. Establish your risk parameters. Know your tolerance. Know how much you can lose and start small. I love that advice and, and love following you. JJ Kinahan, Chief Strategist at TDA. Great show on the TDA Network. We love that and a great follow. So we're Appreciate you joining us on the Express today. Well, thank you for having me. You guys continue to do great work. And, you know, for anybody who's new going to Investopedia, it's a wealth of knowledge. And one of the things that I think you guys really provide for people is great definitions. Because too often we in the business will talk in jargon. And so you can go to Investopedia and really find out what things mean. And most importantly, find out what they mean in a very straightforward fashion. So you understand it when you're done looking at it or looking at the video or whatever it means. Good. We know that. We hear that from our readers all the time, and we're delighted to be in that position. Been doing this now for 23 years. JJ Kinahan, thanks so much for joining the Express, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Have a great day. It's terminology time. Time for educated investors like us to get smart with the investing term we need to know this week to stay ahead of the game. This week's term comes to us courtesy of Justin Hartwig, who hit us up on Instagram with his suggestion. Justin will be sporting the ruggedly handsome Investopedia socks for his suggestion. 
Justin suggests Melt Up for this week, and I gotta say, it's a pretty darn good suggestion. My favorite website defines Melt Up as a sustained and often unexpected improvement in the investment performance of an asset or asset class driven partly by a stampede of investors who don't want to miss out on its rise rather than by fundamental improvements in the economy. Gains that a melt-up creates are considered to be unreliable indicators of the direction the market is ultimately headed. Melt-ups often precede meltdowns. We'll see about that, but we can bet things will get volatile here in the next few weeks, so act appropriately. Good suggestion, Justin. We'll let the legendary business journalist and founder of the Forbes magazine empire, B.C. Forbes, take us out this week. Here's Forbes in 1929, just after the stock market crashed, encouraging investors to buy the dip. The Wall Street panic, in my opinion, is over. It had to come. Stock speculation had become crazy. Like an appendix operation, it's a good thing to have it over with. I personally have been buying stocks since the crash set in on Tuesday. And I have been urging everybody else who can do so to buy without going into debt. A word of advice, my friends. Don't buy or sell stocks or any assets because a journalist told you to do so, especially one that owns its own publication. You do what's right for you when it's right for you. And that's how we roll on the Investopedia Express, and we'll catch you on this track next week. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay smart. I'm Caleb Silver, and I'll see you on down the line.